Welcome to Learning to Fly, an Inspire Group podcast. Join our CEOs, Aidan Stote, Stu Neighbor, and Ulrika Brunner as they discuss learning, leadership, change, and more. Inspire Group, because better learning is life-changing. Kia ora and welcome to Learning to Fly, the Inspire Group podcast. I'm Aidan Stotes and I'm joined today by Chris Micah from Rupukitiako, Dive into Learning, a business that helps build cultural confidence and understanding of Te Ao Māori. This is done through consultancy services as well as e-learning experiences. Rupukitiako works in partnership with Ohu Inspire with a focus on sharing knowledge from a Te Ao Māori worldview with Western concepts woven through. So Chris is part of the Fano here at Ohi Inspire. Kia ora, Chris. Morning, Aidan. Great to have you with us. Chris recently facilitated our Inspire Connect events in Wellington and Auckland, which were focused on embracing Te Ao Māori in workplace learning. These events led to some fantastic kōrero and pātai, and we felt it would be a great opportunity today to dive into some of the questions that were raised in those sessions and also cover some of the ones that we didn't have an opportunity to explore on the day. So Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining today. Um, Could you give our listeners and viewers a little bit of an introduction on yourself as well before we kick into some of those questions? Thanks, Adam, for the introduction and for the welcome. I'm a novice to these podcasts, so uh, it's my first time, but uh, it's awesome to be able to call it all about a, a subject that I am passionate about. So just a little bit about me for the uh, for the whānau out there. So I'm uh, born and bred from Rotorua. I grew up in Rotorua. Um, Te Arua is my waka and my iwi. And my sub-tribe is called Tuhodangi Natiwahio. Um, I currently live in Whanganuiatara, which is Wellington. I've been here for 20 odd years, had a long career working in government, and then just recently started my own business called Okukitiako. And I work in partnership with the awesome team from Ohu Inspire Group. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about me. Kia Jordan Chris, uh, great to have you here, and thank you for that that introduction. Um, let's kick into it, shall we? We've got some great questions that were explored um, in the events that we we ran, and that you brilliantly facilitated in in Wellington and Auckland. Um, so I know that there's some some opportunity for us to to perhaps you know look at those questions again, and also I, I go through a few things, ask a few questions. That were also um, put forward, which we didn't have a, a time or opportunity to, to cover on the day. Um, the first one's a really interesting one, um, which I know a few participants or attendees at the events were, were interested in hearing more from you about. Uh, and that's what have you seen as the best examples of embedding Tiamari 
learning content into organizations? Yeah, great question, Aidan. Um, and I can only draw on my experience in, as I mentioned, in, in working in government for a long period of time. I saw all sorts of efforts to lift cultural capability. And I, I guess I, the, the uh, most successful initiatives usually start with three key, I'll call them PO, three mm. um, sort of um, um, key areas to focus on within an organisation. And the first one is around um, the leadership team, the executive leadership team, the CEO being fully engaged with why Dal Māori is important for the organisation. I think that's quite a, a vital, um, vital element to have on board to actually um, to then provide some engagement with Kaimahi so it feels genuine around the organisation. And then it talks to the second part of that, which is around actually the organisation understanding their why. They can articulate why it's important. What's that compelling reason to have Tao Māori on board? Mm. Um, you know, it might be about um, your, your customer base is Tao Māori. So therefore, engaging with Tao Māori is important. Uh, it might be just that it's the right thing to do for your organisation. So that intent is really important. Um, and then having a strategic direction in place around Tao Māori. So that's the second part. And then the third part is out of that strategic space comes actually an operational component. Um, so, you know, typically within government, you'd have, um, you'd have a mātauranga Māori team or expert, experts within the organisation that help guide, and they actually work in collaboration with other areas of the business. And so in my experience, I was in the learning and development area and the learning team for those organisations that are big enough and fortunate enough to have areas like learning development or organisational development. They would work in collaboration with mātauranga Māori experts to actually develop um, a capability focus and plan. So the first step in, in that uh, sort of journey is actually understanding how ready is our organisation in terms of um, embracing te ao Māori and what does that competency look like within the organisation mm. um, and um, undertaking some sort of assessment, some sort of survey to understand what that looks like is yeah. probably a good first step in building your capability plan. And it's something that we have done um, in collaboration with Ohu as we've created our own what we call in ready assessment plan, so people can actually can actually do that for themselves, and um, happy to share that sort of content with with the group. So you know, in terms of that, um, that then kicks into your Te Ao Māori capability plan. What what that could look like um, within the government sector? Uh, there is a, a capability framework called Te Arafiti, and that is um, the basis for which uh, government agencies focus to actually raise competency. We've designed our assessment plan very much around the Te Arafiti framework itself and develop our questions for that. So yeah, just sort of reflecting, just to summarize that that uh, that part of that question, the three key power around having leadership, executive leadership on board, yeah. uh, making sure there's a strategic direction and narrative and then out of that comes the operational focus and teams working together to uplift um, Te Ao Māori capability. Fantastic. Ooh. Fantastic. Um, oh, look, brilliantly covered and, um, you know, very, very comprehensive um, ideas there about the best ways to, to embed Te Ao Māori. Just to expand on that a little bit, um, 
where do you see the opportunities for that to be implemented and embedded over a over a significant period of time so it really becomes part of the 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 cultural fabric of the organization um because i know a lot of the, the organizations that we that we speak with um you know are doing some of these things to some extent but maybe some of their bigger challenges are around how they embed that longer term um and do you have any views or ideas about how those organizations can ensure that embedding happens enough for that to, to make meaningful change um, and really establish those principles for the long term. Yeah, nice. Yeah, you know, um, so I spoke to that, that, you know, that operations sort of focus and yeah, with an agency, you know, if there's a problem, typically how an agency will, will, will sort of address that problem is they'll assign a group of people to be owners of content going forward. So, for example, if it was a health and safety issue within an organisation, you'd have a you'd have a dedicated health and safety team that would take and be kaitiaki, they'd be guardians of 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 that content and taking yeah. that forward and making sure that that um, that that embedding over a long period of time is sustainable and enduring. Yeah. And it's no different with the Te Ao Māori focus. Is that you know you need true sort of. Um, advice and guidance at a senior level around Tao Māori to make sure that it's embedded um, and it's sustainable over a long period of time mm. um, or else it, it may just fall by the way which I have seen within organisations. Um, so that would be my suggestion in terms of looking at a long-term strategy around embedding Tao Māori is actually giving it the, the due sort of uh, value that, it's, that, it, um, that it deserves and assigning appropriate resource capability to actually um, to guide the organisation going forward. Fantastic. Love that. Um, as we're recording this, we've just come through uh, quite an interesting political shift in Aotearoa. Um, uh, so I know that one of the questions that was top of mind for a lot of the Inspire Connect participants was, how do you anticipate a change in government impacting focus on Te Ao Māori, uh, whether that's at a, a government level in terms of agencies and, and public sector entities, or um, more extensively, you know, across the, the commercial and corporate business landscape? here in, in New Zealand. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, great question to ask and um, obviously very relevant for, for the time. Um, I guess our history has shown over a long period of time that governments have come and governments have gone, different parties have come into power. And just recently, obviously, with um, Labour, um, and they had a, they, so they had a, a keen, um, keen focus on lifting and uh, embracing Te Ao Māori, Things like um, in the introduction of um, the uh, history of Aotearoa within the, the education curriculum is a is a key example, um, and that could change with a new government. But I know over time, over the long period of time, um, little to no impact has happened on in Tao Māori. In fact, really important stuff from a Tao Māori perspective have actually endured and grown and thrived. So Kohangareo. Te kura kaupapa Māori, um, the revitalisation of Te Reo Māori, Te Wiki mm -hmm. o Te Reo Māori, they've actually prospered instead of declined. 
So, you know, if I was to give one piece of advice, um, if it feels like it's the right thing to do to embrace te Māori and have a compelling reason to do so, then for me, nothing that comes out of the beehive will actually stop that from happening. So um, follow your gut feeling, and if it feels ticker and it feels right, then it's the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Thank you, Chris. Um, for those organisations that are perhaps just at the start of their journey in terms of Te Māori, what advice would you have for them in terms of the best places to start? Yeah, and so the, the words that sort of come to mind is progress, not perfection, and it's got to start somewhere. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's, it may, you may not have those three points. It may not even be there, you know, your leadership team are not onto it. You don't have a strategy and there's no operational support to make it happen. So it actually starts from a groundswell from within the kaimahi, within the team itself. Mm. So find others who are also keen to, to learn and create a network of people. Start small. Introduce things like te reo at a basic level yeah. um, in both spoken and written form. Um, you know, in terms of te reo, the first place to start is around pronunciation. You know, nail pronunciation, then the rest will follow. And, um, you know, we have some content around pronunciation that we're able to share with um, with the team. Great module that we've created might be useful for you. Um, things like people's names and places, you know, um, greetings and salutations, really. You know, start with the basic everyday sayings. We call them kiwaha. Mm. Um, and it's just about making things like te reo and the use of te reo, just normalising it so it just becomes a daily thing. Yeah. If it's in your, um, I don't know, you might have a quiz that you share for the day and you might just want to share a karakia, a prayer, um, when, you're, when, you're, um, when you're having food. It's just getting started and, and um, including little bits of learning as you go in your daily practice memorizing waiata or karakia, making it fun. Yeah. It's always, yeah. Making it fun is always a good thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, weird to start um, learning around, learning about te tiriti or waitangi, the foundation, you know, just getting some basic learning. We've got stuff around that as well that we can share with you. Fantastic. Love that. And actually there was a question from one of the participants um, at our event, which actually leads nicely from that, which was, would you rather see people try to speak te reo and make some mistakes with pronunciation or wait until they have a really good grasp of a concise and accurate pronunciation before they start using that vocabulary more? Again, progress, not perfection. For, my, for me personally, I'd rather people try. Yeah and try and pronounce the real and be open to learning and being guided. I think that's important. And I think it's about um, about creating a space and environment where people actually feel safe to call it real, um, where they don't feel judged and they can just make mistakes, but also they feel like they're supported as well. Yeah. Um, also an environment where people see their peers also on the same journey um, people that they feel comfortable with, they trust, and they they feel as though they can get support from, mm. and also they can aspire to. I think that's that's important. 
I don't know. Just for me, bro, I just think, you know, te reo is a language. It's a beautiful language for, yeah. for people. It needs to be heard and it needs to be fostered. So that's my own personal take on that. Yeah, love that. That's great. Thinking about embedding te ao Māori, and I know we've covered some some great examples, um, suggestions around that already, but one of our participants had a question about how we ensure that embedding te ao Māori is meaningful rather than appearing tokenistic. And I wondered if you had any advice um, or experiences you could share about making sure that that meaning and authenticity around embedding te ao Māori is achieved rather than just the tokenism or potential box ticking for, for some organisations. Any thoughts or ideas you can share on that? Yes, yeah, sure. Um, and I always go back to the three po around mm. setting up an organisation for success. You know, I guess um, one of the phrases I heard recently in Ahui is um, if the head of the fish is poison and then the rest of the fish is poison. Mm. And so, you know, um, that speaks to, you know, um, if you have those those important power in place around leadership buy-in, a strategic, a strategic direction and then operational focus, then, you know, um, it feels as though the right intent is in place to make Te Ao Māori work. Yeah. And I feel like um, it can actually happen from a groundswell of, I mean, the voice of the kaimahi coming through. Mm. But, you know, um, at some point in time, the has to be both from the ground up and top down as well. Yeah. And I think that, that's quite important to make it appear to be meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, one question we had, which I think is a, is a fascinating one. It's not an easy one to answer, I don't think. You might, you might prove me wrong. Okay. Um, how can I be the change agent for my organisation and embed this into practice every day? Oh, that is a tricky question. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. If, take time to sort of understand your part and your role within your organisation and how it can contribute to embedding te ao Māori mm. um, in your space. Learn about the structure of your organisation. Who's who in the zoo? Yeah. Uh, do you have the three power in place? Is leadership on board? Is there a strategy? I always go back to that. <laughs> um, if not, and then how do you how do you start something from the ground up? How do you create that network? Um, so you know the voice of the people are heard um, to create that uh, leadership buy-in. Um, who else is an ally? Mm. As I, I suggested, start small. You know, because it's either going to come from the ground up or it's going to come top down. In the perfect situation, both would come together yeah. in the centre. Um, I don't know if that answers that question, but that's all I could think of, really. I think it does. And, you know, I, I think you have such a solid um, suggestion around those those three PO that it, it is a great a great place to come back to when you're thinking about how do you make change at an individual level at an organizational level how do you influence how do you ensure that all of the right aspects and, and pillars are in place 
in order to create meaningful and sustained change. So I think there is so much to that thinking um, and, and so much um, so much opportunity there that it does answer a lot of those questions. So yeah, tough one that I threw at you there, but uh, I think that, was, that response was spot on. So well done. <laughs> a few other questions that uh, came out of these events, which again, seem to be sort of quite similar in, in theme. Um, but one in particular about titility, which is quite interesting. Um, so one of our, our participants had a question about where is the best place to start with adopting titility in the organization? So that that particular element of, of TL Māori. So with um, titility, um, yeah, I just keep on going to the three foes. Because a strategic a strategic direction will actually outline utility in terms of the organisation and why it's important. Yeah. So a common a common element out of utility or Waitangi is what's called the three P's around participation, protection, and the other one, but three P's. Mm. And nowadays, it's not utilised as much because um, industry have actually taken those to the next step. And they've identified what those elements actually mean in the context of the industry. Mm. So I'll give you an example. Um, in government, the Tiara Fiti framework, which I mentioned, is the response to the three Ps in terms of um, Te Tiriti or Waitangi. And it actually spells out what actual capability uh, levels look like and how you can achieve those capability, capability levels. Yeah. So most government agencies nowadays, and I hope this continues on with the new government, they've actually responded to uh, the Te Fiti framework around their response and how they actually uplift um, Te Ao Māori capability within their environment. Mm. And it's really at a specific level. So, um, And then some, some other um, organisations that I've worked with they, uh, in the health sector, for example, they've got their own focus on what that looks like in terms of their tetariti responsibilities. So depending on um, your organisation, whether you're private or your government sector, is actually doing that work in terms of the strategic space to understand what your tetariti uh, response is going to look like. Um, and the way I look at it and the way I've talked to clients, especially private private sector clients, is I've shared with them content from a, from the Te Ara Fifty framework because it's actually same, same. Yeah. It's exactly the same thing, but it's in the it's in the government context. And like you actually can actually uh, you can actually use some of that content in terms of your own environment and in the private sector that will actually benefit your organization. So mm. if if you're gonna learn something. The Great, great opportunity for people there. Thank you, Chris. Um, well, this is a tough one. So oh, this, is, this is the second tough one I'm throwing at you. What would you say is the one thing that you can use to influence those that feel there is no need to engage with Tiao Māori? those that feel done to and might be a negative voice around the table? Oh, the first thing I think about is why do they think they've been done to? Because mm. I just don't think they're out. Um, so calling, calling on my experience in government, um, South Māori is not compulsory at all. Right. 
um, it's a nice to have. It's 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 on top of your of your um, of your of your role. You want to learn it. So, I, my first question, mate, is why would people feel like they're done for? Yeah. yeah. And so that speaks to the organisation's ability to engage with uh, their kaimahi, their team, to um, pitch at the right level. Um, tell the right stories to really engage people. And what does that engagement look like? Because if it feels like it's been done too, then obviously you're not going to do it. Yeah. I won't. But if it feels like you see yourself within the change, mm. then you're more likely to be curious about the change. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, um, feeling like it's done too, it feels like you have to take a few steps back to go, um, Going back to the three pro, what does that look like? Um, strategically, we've got the right message and narrative in place. And then in terms of our operational focus, how do we communicate that out to our team, especially those disengaged people? What does that look like? What are the processes we'll undertake to actually understand who they are? Do they really want to engage with us around the process mm -hmm. to understand their fears and their vulnerability? Yeah. How can we create messaging and communication that actually lands with people so they take incremental steps towards that more curious space? Um, yeah, those are the words that stick in my mind, done to, because, you know, I'm a person that anything is done to me, man, I switch off straight away. But if it feels like it's more passive an approach, more nawari is the Māori word for that, mm. and actually I can see myself in in that messaging, then I'm more likely to take a step towards it. I don't know, mate. I felt like I just waffled on for... That's all. I think, <laughs> I, think you've, I think you've hit the nail on the head with that. Um, and a you know, really, really important message for those listening who are perhaps feeling that way um, or who are those who are trying to influence others who, who might be disengaged um, or feeling done to. So I, I, I think you've nailed it. Yeah, I guess it's always that, that challenge of something compulsory as, a, as opposed to something voluntary. Yeah. Voluntary takes a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of effort with lots of people working on that to find those narratives and those stories that really land with people. Yeah. Um, but in my mind, it's it's more long-term and it's more sustainable, but it's a lot of effort and it's a lot of, um, a lot of capacity to make that happen. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> We've covered off most of the questions that were raised at the events uh, and a few that um, came through subsequently. I've just got one from, from me out of curiosity to you um, oh. to, to, to wrap things up for us today, Chris. And that's what was your general sense from the events that you ran in both Wellington and Auckland? What, what were the highlights for you? What do you feel were some of the most important learning moments um that that you want wanted to share and that you hope people will take from those experiences oh yeah awesome bro um first of all two different audiences uh mm. from wellington to auckland wellington very much a government sector um audience i knew a lot of people there which always makes it nerve-wracking but um and then in the auckland uh, audience, I didn't know a lot of people, and very much private sector. Yeah, yeah. 
And so if I was to sort of look at those two audiences, they're at different they're at different stages of their journey in the Te Ao Māori space. That's the sense I got from both audiences. The government sector a little bit more advanced in their in their journey. And I had a I had a feeling with the Auckland um, audience not as advanced. So I'm very much at the start of a journey. Um, but no doubt, uh, I did a little, and you saw this at the event, did a little uh, survey with the group at the time, both groups, and um, good to see that the people that they came to both events were really engaged around Te Ao Māori and had that desire and passion. Um, to take it forward, and the questions that flew at me was like, oh. Um, but um, it was just great to see the passion, and, you know, I didn't want to make a, a, an assumption for Auckland. I was like, oh, I wonder what sort of crowd we're going to get in Auckland, where they're going to be really engaged. But no, I was really surprised at the level of engagement and having, and that was pleasing to say, oh, you come to the right event, because yeah. they were really engaged, that group. So I, I guess the thing I was really pleased about was the level of engagement from the people that attended. And yeah. then I also wondered about the people that didn't attend because there were heaps that missed out. So, um, you know, I was like, wow, jeepers. Um, it was a popular topic to actually yeah. talk about yeah. and to present to. And then, um, I don't know, just uh, learning about where people are at Mm. what they're doing so having you know i spent some time with people after the event after the, the corridor and just seeing where people were at and how passionate they were to actually oh we're going to get started on this and um yes we're talking to our leadership team and i was just like oh, so cool to hear you know and yeah. in the midst of a um an election that desire was still strong yeah and you know to be fair uh, the audience was mainly Te Aupākia, let's be completely honest, non-Māori. And um, to see that just gives me lots of heart and lots of hope for the future yeah. and moving forward. And, um, yeah, that made me feel good. Fantastic. Love that. That feels like a really good place to wrap things up, I think. So thank you so much, Chris. Nami Nui um, for a great quarter today and of course for your brilliant work in facilitating those events you know from my perspective um, attending as well as being part of you know the wearing the other hat seeing sort of how it was received by the learners you know I was so encouraged um, as you were to see such great engagement such great interest in the events um, and such great questions part I that came out of the Cordero. So people are really thinking deeply about this um, and thinking how best they can support implementation, integration and embedding of TL Māori in their organisations, which was brilliant to see. So uh, thank you so much for joining the Learning to Fly podcast today. I'm Aidan Stoats and we will be back soon with another episode for you to enjoy. Bye for now. Learning to Fly is produced by the Inspire Group team. You can find us online at inspiregroup.net and don't forget to rate, review and subscribe on your podcast app.